Well, um, Jared, could you throw up that first slide of the Beatitudes? I do want to uh, read the Beatitudes again this morning. We're going to be uh, moving to uh, another mountain. I've, I've referred to the Beatitudes as the first mountain among many in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the biggest mountain. I thought, well, let's climb the biggest one first and see where that takes us. And then as we learn to walk in the way of Jesus, we'll look at some of the other mountain regions in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk about forgiveness this morning, which I know is everybody's favorite topic. Uh, forgiveness is something that we like the idea of forgiveness. It's the practice of forgiveness that's a little bit more of a challenge. It's like, well, I, the idea is good, but the practice is a little bit harder. So I do want to read this together as been, has been our common practice. So I'm going to read the first four lines, and then I'd like all of us to read the Beatitudes together. So here we go. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. We've been referring to the Beatitudes as announcements. These eight announcements or eight surprises are not ideals that we have to somehow conjure up enough willpower to accomplish in our lives. They're, they're not platitudes, they're paradoxes. And they're, and they're really like surprises because you look at the values and the wisdom of the world in which we live and you compare them to the Beatitudes and these are the people who are actually going to be blessed. It doesn't seem to measure up. And so when Jesus makes these announcements, these eight announcements, he's referring to the kinds of people that are really going to resonate with what Jesus is up to in the world. So he takes us through these eight different announcements, these eight um, surprises, and he says, these are the kinds of people that are really, really going to be attracted to what I'm going to be up to in the world. And then we've climbed this mountain now for several weeks, and we're going to move over to another mountain region, not too far away, just a chapter over, and we're going to look at this thing called the Lord's Prayer. I imagine many of you in the room are familiar with the Lord's Prayer. It's something that in churches, sometimes we move through the Lord's Prayer, we say the Lord's Prayer together, we sing the Lord's Prayer, and it's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. He said, if you want to pray, if that's something you desire, here's then how you should pray, and he gives us 57 words. He makes it really easy for us. Here's then how you should pray. So I was looking at prayer, 
And I came across this prayer that was written to an Egyptian god. So we're going to look at a prayer that was written to an Egyptian god first before we get into the Jesus prayer. And some of you are uncomfortable already. It's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get through it. But I want you to hear this because this is a, a prayer that uh, was declared to the Egyptian god Amun-Ra. And Amun-Ra was the chief of the gods. So the Egyptian culture had many different gods. Why just have one god? That limits you. They had many different gods that they could go to for certain reasons. So Amun-Ra is the chief of all the gods. So he's kind of a big deal. And listen to this opening prayer to Amun-Ra. Hail to thee, Amun-Ra, Lord of the thrones of the earth, the oldest existent, ancient of heaven, supporter of all things, chief of the gods, Lord of the truth, father of the gods, maker of men, beasts, and herbs. <sighs> maker of all things above and below, Lord of wisdom and mercy, opener of every eye. And this is, just the, this is just the opener. Like, we're just getting warmed up. Imagine trying to get all of those words out when you're going to the god, Amun-Ra, to pray. And you have to kind of work yourself up to make sure you're getting all the words right. Because when you come to the gods, you got to make sure, am I getting this right? Am I saying it right? Am I saying all the names correctly? Because what if I don't say the right name? Does that mean this god won't pay attention to me? Will this God ignore what I'm saying? So I've got to be really, you know, studious. I've got to make sure I get everything accurate. And then I have to make sure that I'm actually getting this God's attention. And then how do I know if I'm getting this God's attention? Is he going to bless me? Is he going to give me the things that I need for my family to survive? So you've got to make sure you go through the proper list and you have all the names correctly stated. Now imagine... Living your life in such a way that when you come to your God to pray, you've got to make sure you hit all the names right. Imagine the anxiety and the fear that might rise up inside of you. Now, this got me thinking about a story in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 18. There's this prophet named Elijah. And Elijah is the one representative for the whole nation of Israel to um, basically point them back to God, the God Yahweh. So Israel has this one prophet, and he goes up against these other prophets, the prophets of Baal, or Baal, and these people, they represent a whole nother region, a whole nother culture, and there's like a, a god-off or a competition, I don't know what you call it, something like that. They're going into this competitive mode, and it's in front of the whole community to see which god is more powerful. So you've got one guy, Elijah, up against the prophets of Baal. Guess how many were there? Anybody know? 450. Who said that? Was that Cindy Streck? You just like pulled that out? That's like Bible Trivia 101. 450 prophets. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. 450 is a lot. So imagine one against 450. And they go through this whole ordeal. The prophets of Baal, they step up to the plate first to, get, to show that Baal is more powerful than Yahweh. And they go through this whole deal. And I'll just give you kind of a breakdown of some of the things that they did. And they're thinking, well, they're not getting his attention. So they start talking louder. And they think, well, maybe if we talk louder. Or, I got an idea. Maybe if we cut ourselves, then we'll get this God's attention. Maybe if we dance, if we work ourselves up in a frenzy, then if we begin to prophesy. And they go on for hours and hours and hours and hours trying to get the God's attention. And you've got to be thinking, well, he's not paying attention, so maybe you're not doing it properly. 
Maybe you're not getting it right. Maybe if we do this, then we'll make sure that we get his attention. Or maybe we're not offering the right sacrifices. And then we get to Jesus and everything begins to turn and shift. And check out what Jesus said. Listen to this in Matthew chapter six, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, as he's beginning to teach his disciples, here's what it means to pray. And he says this in verse seven, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Interesting. Do not be like the pagans. Don't babble. Don't use many words. And he uses this word babbling, or it could be translated as heaping up. It's like you're, you're building up more things to make sure that you can get God's attention. And then he says on top of that, don't fall in the trap of using too many words. So one, like for us as, as prayer people, sometimes we feel like, well, maybe I'm not saying enough, or maybe I need to, to heap up more words. I need to build a bigger system so God can actually hear me and bless me. I want you to think back to the approach to Amun-Ra as the people are trying to get the chief of the gods' attention, all the words that they're using, heaping up many, many, many words. And here's Jesus entering right into the dialogue. It's like if you think about it, there is a deep wound that exists in the bones of humanity, a deep primitive wound. And I think it lies in a question that all of us, whether we're aware of it or not, I think it exists in us. And that question is, is there somebody out there listening to me? Is there somebody paying attention to us? Is there someone who's in charge of all of this mess and chaos going on around us? And if so, then how do we get this God's attention? Are there certain words that we're supposed to utter? Is there a way that we're supposed to conjure something up inside of ourselves? Maybe we need to be more sophisticated. Maybe we need to heap up. Maybe we need to babble. Maybe we need to use many, many, many words. Am I talking to anybody in the room right now? Yeah. yeah. Don't you feel that inside of yourselves? Haven't you been in situations where you thought, hmm, maybe I'm not praying right? Have any of you in the room ever felt like you've prayed wrong? What if you can't get it wrong? Hmm, mind-boggling. <laughs> what if God already knows what you need even before you come and start talking to God? That's what Jesus says. He says, this God actually knows what you need before you show up on the scene and start going through your list. He knows what you need. The posture of this God is leaning towards you and not away from you. But what I've observed and what I've seen even in my own life is we've become really sophisticated and we no longer pray like these primitive people because we're sophisticated people. And we've got our books on prayer and we've studied immensely and so we know all of the nuances of prayer. There's certain prayers that you do for this part to get a, this God's attention or to move God in this direction. And here's Jesus. And I love it. He moves right into the fear right into the anxiety, right in it, and he says this, when you pray, start here. Our Father, you're like, oh, our Father who art in heaven, 
holy is your name. That's it. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. It's like he enters right in and he brings down all of the anxiety, the concerns, and the worry. And he says, listen, this God who holds all things in his hands has the power of life and death. This God extends grace to you and simply wants you to come ready to receive. This God is leaning towards us, not away from us. Taking the fear, the anxiety, entering into all of that, simply come and say, our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Do you realize that this is like a groundbreaking moment in the evolution of, of religion? This like, this is massive. It's a groundbreaking moment where Jesus is, is bringing down all of the barriers, the babbling, the heaping up, the, the many, many, many words. And what Jesus says, and this is just a plain interpretation, is like, hey, show up, sit down, and let's talk. It's like that easy. It can't be that easy. It just can't be. We've got to make it really complicated. But God says, just come. I already know what you need. I got you. I'm leaning towards you. I want to extend my hand of mercy to you. But we have this feeling like we have to go on and on and on. Says the knucklehead up front who talks for a living. <laughs> You're like, I wish he would stop going on and on and on. But imagine starting out your day with the feeling that in order to get God's attention or to get God to act, you have to use the right words or you got to talk about herbs. Imagine, you're like, did I get the herb thing right? Did I go through the, through the list properly? Did I get it all connected? Get it just right? It can't be as easy to just say, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can we pray that prayer together this morning? Because we've announced the Beatitudes, and now let's pray the prayer together. So I'm going to invite us to stand together. We're moving today. Hey. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. We're, we're reading it from the NIV, so it might sound a little bit differently than what you're used to or accustomed to. But let's say this one together as we pray. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you wanted to keep going, didn't you? Have a seat. Jared, could you throw the prayer back up one more time? Just notice some things about the prayer. Notice where Jesus starts. He starts by addressing the spiritual realities. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Remember we talked about the kingdom of God as being the government of God. This is when God is ruling as king over his people. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I walk through Mercer Island quite a bit. And what I've been doing is praying over this island. 
praying for the people of this island. So I start here in the morning and I declare the Beatitudes and then I go outside and I start walking, praying the Beatitudes and saying the Lord's Prayer. And a friend of mine was listening to a sermon a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about mercy. And she kept coming up with this expression, Mercy Island, Mercy Island, <laughs> Mercy Island. She said, wouldn't it be great if they changed the name to this island to Mercy Island and not Mercer? And I thought, well, now that's compelling. What if Evergreen Covenant Church became known as the place where mercy was extended to everyone who walked through the doors of this place and encountered these people? I could get on board with that. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Oh, Holy Spirit, may your will be done on Mercer Island as it is in heaven. What if prayer was just that simple? And when you're walking around the island and you're going to QFC to get your bulkagi beef or whatever it is that you do, when you go to these places, if you just simply said, oh, may your will be done on Mercer Island, as it is in heaven, may this place be known as Mercy Island. It's a show waiting to happen on Netflix, isn't it? <laughs> Welcome to Mercy Island. May not get a lot of ratings, but hey, it's an idea. I think I might pitch it sometime. So as we move through the prayer, Jesus begins to address the spiritual realities of the human condition, and he talks about our Father, and he talks about this intimacy of connecting with this holy God, that we want more heaven on earth. We want it down here. We want people to be healed. We want people to experience mercy. But then he moves into the physical realm and he starts talking about bread. And there's nothing more physical than bread, especially if you're hungry. Like bread has got this really powerful element to actually satisfy that deep human need. It does something to our condition as people. So it's really practical. But notice that he says, just give us enough for today. Because what is our tendency? If you just give me enough for 30 days, I'm gonna feel a lot more comfortable than just for today. And if you give me enough just for like six months, then I'm gonna feel super comfortable and you and I are gonna get along famously. But he says, no, no, just, just enough for today. Just give me enough for today. Gets really practical and brings it into this world. And then he moves on to this complex thing called human relationships. And we are relational beings. We are in conflict with people. If you're in the game at all, you're experiencing conflict. If you step outside of your door in the morning, conflict is waiting for you. In many facets, many dimensions, it's there. It's all like practice. This is how we learn to walk in the way of Jesus, being in relationship. And then Jesus does this thing where he starts to meddle with us. And George, George Duff, you always remind me, he said, stop meddling with people. And I love when you say that, because it's like, I feel like I just want to do more of it. But Jesus starts to meddle, and he starts talking about forgiveness. And he says, forgiveness is a powerful thing. And then he invites us into the way of forgiveness. And then he says this, and this is where it gets really tricky. He says in verse 14, throw up that next slide, Jared. In verse 14 and 15, check this out. After he teaches us this beautiful prayer, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, when you read that, do you just go, huh, that doesn't seem to line up. 
That's, that sounds much more transactional. Now, Jesus is using the word forgiveness there, and it's the word send away. You've heard this before, I'm sure. The idea of forgiveness is that uh, somebody does something to you, they hurt you, there's a wound that's created, and now you have this wound, you, are, you have this debt that the person now has given you that you carry around, and you have a choice. You can choose to send that away, or you can hold on to it for a period of time, which we love to do, don't we humans? Like hold on to it, I'm gonna put that one in my pocket for later and I'll come see you and you'll know that I'm present. Because I'm gonna come and I'm gonna collect what you owe me because you hurt me and now I have the power over you. We love to foster that. And so we hold on to it for a period of time, but what Jesus says is he invites us to send it away. That we get to send it away, not like revisit it all the time. But here's the deal, friends. We now have this thing, sometimes we get hurt, and we carry around this wound, and we can send it away, but many times what happens, even when we send it away, the residual is still there. The wound is still there. And so what we do is like, well, I've forgiven you for this, but then we carry around this wound, and unless we process the wound and ask Jesus to enter in to begin to heal the wound, we carry this thing around and it festers and it grows and we can move throughout life being like still operating under the assumption that you owe me something because we haven't done the work. But Jesus says, you're invited to cancel the debt. You don't come collecting anymore. He says, you get to send that one away. Don't have to hold on to it any longer. In other words, what you're saying is, I'm not gonna carry this thing around anymore. Because as you know, if I'm talking to humans in the room, that when we carry these things around, they get really heavy, don't they? They're quite weighty. And we carry them around because we feel like we have the right to carry them around because you don't know what she did. And if I told you what she did, then you'd be like, you have every right to carry that around, girl. Keep carrying that thing around. And then there's this other word that Jesus uses. And sometimes in translations, it'll say, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive the trespasses of others. And you know what trespasses are? They're translated as the slips. I thought this was really interesting. You know what the slips are? The slips are the eye rolls. You know about the eye rolls? Shar gives me those every once in a while. Brother. The eye rolls, the cold shoulder. You familiar with the cold shoulder? You know about the cold shoulder? The, um, the, all, the, all, all the little things that we do, to, there, there's that thing called, uh, what is it, passive aggressive behavior. Anybody familiar with passive aggressive behavior? You're laughing because you participate in passive aggressive behavior. And passive aggressive behavior is really aggressive, isn't it? But it's in a very subtle way. And it comes out in what I call the I'm fines. You guys know about the I'm fines? I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Are you okay? Fine. Like, uh-oh, <laughs> you're not fine. And we all know it. And there's a difference between the I'm fines and like, yeah, I'm fine. But I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. It's like, shut it down, the wall goes up. Don't, you're, not gonna, you're not getting into this domain. I'm impenetrable. And all of that, there's something going on behind that. There's the slips, there's the wounds, there's all the hurt. The slips are the little things, the subtle things, but they're also the really big things. That person was unfaithful to me. She didn't return my text, and it's been a day. 
all the little things and the big things, the big offense. She took the money and ran. I thought we were in this together, but she bailed on me and she took the money. And many times we forgive and we send away and we don't come collecting the debt, but sometimes we choose to hold on to those things and we feel awful. And for some of us, we might be at the place where we actually do send it away, but now we've got this thing, this wound, it's still there and we haven't taken the time to process the wound. Like what, why did that hurt so much? What was it about that that caused such deep pain inside of me? And then here comes Jesus. Jesus, like, okay, if you forgive others, I will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. And you're like, that's lame. Like, I thought, I thought we just had this beautiful prayer where you're going through all this exchange. It was like, that's a really great prayer, God leaning in, giving us, meeting our physical needs, talking about the power of forgiveness. And then he throws this at us. Doesn't it seem very transactional when you look at it on the surface? I remember years ago, somebody said to me, and this has stayed with me, he says, what I see is not the same as what is there. <laughs> right? What I see is not the same as what is there. And what I understand about the nature of God is that I don't see a transactional God. I don't see an experienced God as this is the God of the universe. If you do this, then I will do this. However, how we see God, and I've mentioned this before, I've got this from Richard Rohr, how we see God is how we see just about everything. So if we see God through the transactional lens, then that's how we see just about everything because let's be honest, friends, most of our relationships are transactional, aren't they? You don't move out into the business world thinking it's all about grace in my business world. It's not, it's transaction. You do this, then this happens. Cause and effect. It's a very black and white. It's very clear how the rules work in our system. But what if you began to see God that way? What if you approach God in a transactional way? And is that what Jesus is talking about? Or is he talking about something else? Because I think Jesus is actually talking about something else. And I think the best way to understand this is to talk about snorkeling. And a dear friend of mine used this analogy years ago, talking about forgiveness. And is there anybody in the room who came with a snorkel this morning? Oh, Brick, come on up here, Brick, for a moment. This is Brick, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't met Brick yet, that's what Brick is. <laughs> and Brick, um, go ahead and place the, place the tube in your mouth. You look nice, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Now let me ask you all a question for those of you who are watching Brick right now. Um, what is the purpose of this tube? Breathe, right? What else? Underwater. So the purpose of the tube is to breathe. Is it just to breathe in? Got to breathe out, right? So you breathe in, you breathe out. Where does the air travel through? Two tubes, one tube. So this tube is the only source of life. That's it. So let's, let's think for a moment. Is this what, <laughs> is it? <laughs> this is always, it's always a good start, Brick. Do you trust me? I don't, he doesn't know yet. <laughs> Is this, is this going on YouTube later? Yeah, we'll upload it later for the kids. Um, so let's, let's think for a moment what Jesus is saying here. 
if the love of God comes into our lives, that's how we experience, we receive love, does it then go out through another direction or does it go out the same vessel? And I wonder, like, what happens when we take this air supply and we cut it off? How you doing, Brick? Oh, great. <laughs> the eyes, the eyes. Can you breathe? Oh, no. No, you can't breathe. Go ahead and take it off. It's okay. It. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Brick. Don't bring a snorkel to church ever again. <laughs> He's a good sport. It's a great way to introduce somebody to the church. Welcome to Mercy Island. <laughs> the, the tube, when it gets cut off, is not able to function the way that it's created to function. I wonder. I, I wonder. And I don't know for sure how it all works, but I just wonder if when we refuse to send something away or we say, I'm not sending that away, I'm holding on to that, do we cut off that flow? Is that what Jesus is saying? That somehow the, the flow of God's love coming in, God's forgiveness, we're experiencing it. We don't just get to hold on to it and be like, oh, it feels so good to be forgiven. Now I'm just gonna remain bitter and resentful and hold on to that thing. Man, she did not text me back and I've gotta hold on to that thing. Or is it about flowing out through the same tube. And what happens so often is we have this really weird tendency to split things up. We love to split things up into categories, don't we? Put them into compartments and say, yeah, me and God are fine, but me and her, we ain't fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you? Or are we holding on to the offense? And does that somehow cut off this flow that we experience between me and God and others. I don't think we can have it both ways. I don't, I don't think we have the luxury of just saying, yeah, me and God are fine, me and them, not okay. I don't think it's us and them. I think it's us, us and God. And we're all in relationship with one another and we have to work on it. And it takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of intentionality. Now, I want you to hear me, and this is really important, Forgiveness does not mean condoning. There's certain things we say, I do not condone this behavior. There are consequences to actions. I understand that. Forgiveness does also not mean forgetting. Do not forget. Send it away. Like, I'll never think about it again. Of course you will, because there's certain boundaries that need to be established in certain relationships. Some relationships are really toxic. I understand that. And I'm not ever going to condone that toxicity. Sometimes we have to create really strict boundaries and say, I can't be in close proximity or in relationship with you. There can't be this connection right now. We've got to keep the boundaries. But I also understand that, that, that there are some toxic relationships that we can't be in relationship with. But I also understand that we have got to be a people who decide to forgive, to send away, to no longer collect the debt, to no longer take out our lists, because we all have lists, don't we? They're just invisible. And we pull them out and we go through the list. And when we send that list away, we rip it up and we no longer come collecting the debt. Please hear me. There is still the wound that's there. That's the part that we have to work on. That's why we have these things called therapy and therapists in the world. To help us process what we can't process. 
or a good counselor or good friends that come alongside of us to help us see the invitation into healing. And I wonder, when we refuse to forgive, is it like taking a piece of tape and cutting off that flow where we split it up? It can't be good with God, not good with this person. It's got a flow. There has to be a flow together. And I wonder, like, when everything is stripped away and we come to the end of our journey and we're moving through life and we get to that point where it's like, I'm now coming to a closing in my, in my story, what's left when it's all been burned away? What's, what remains? And my hope and prayer is that love is the thing that remains. That's the thing that holds us, that it's coming in from God and going out to others freely. The love of God coming in and flowing out into relationships freely. Not the passive aggressive behavior where I'm impenetrable, but the joy and the flow of relationship with God and others. Let me ask you this question as the worship team comes back up. Is there anything that you are refusing to send away this morning? Anything. And do you find yourself still nursing that thing that you know, I've got to let that go? And the hard question, is there a dimension of your life that needs to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Are you with me? Sit with that. We're going to sing. And then we'll walk out of here and practice what we just heard. All right.